Good morning. I hope you had a wonderful Easter week. Uh, we heard from a lot of folks how much you enjoyed the Easter baskets. And I'm so glad that those were so well received. Just our way to say that we miss you all. We're thinking about you. Uh, we also heard from a few folks that they were very pleasantly surprised to get a basket from Trinity. They had no connection to Trinity. Turns out we had an old address for a couple of you, so your old house got a basket, even if you didn't. In any case, uh, they all went to a good home. This morning, we're starting a brand new series called The Waiting Game. Now, this is a series all about us, about waiting. I mean, the entire world is in a waiting game of sorts as we wait out the effects of this virus, whether we're still in isolation or coming out of isolation in some parts of the world. But for our church in particular, we're in a waiting game. And it doesn't feel like much of a game, does it? It's been a long and winding road, this, this transitional season. We've waited, we've trusted God to lead us to our new lead pastor. It's been quite a journey. And my hope is that this series will really set us up for the destination that God has in mind for us. There's a movie out now, a movie that was set to be released in theaters, but now it's available online on the, the Disney Plus app. It's a Pixar movie, an animated movie called Onward. Maybe some of you have seen it. And in the movie, the main characters are on a, a quest. They're on a, a journey of discovery, a journey with an unknown destination. And, and there's a line that gets repeated throughout the movie. Don't worry, I'm not going to spoil it for you. Uh, there's a line that they repeat, and they say, when you're on a quest you use what you have on hand. So see, the idea is that you don't know what the future will hold. You can't always plan accurately, pack all that you might need, but, but when a need arises, you use what you have on hand. You take stock of what's available to you and you find a way to use it. And at the risk of stretching this idea too far, we here at Trinity, we're on our own quest. As a church, we're on a journey. Now we've been given a task, a great commission, We've been given a task of making disciples in this valley, and yet our journey is not a straight line. We're on a quest that has twists and turns. The ultimate destination is not always clear. Sometimes the expectations change. It's our own form of a waiting game. Well, here, in the waiting game, that the place we find ourselves, we're on our own journey. We don't know exactly what the future looks like. We didn't anticipate all the twists and turns, and yet we still have a commission. We still have a God-given mandate. So we have to keep building this church, keep advancing the gospel, and we have to do it with the things that we have on hand, which means we have to determine what we have to work with. And in a lot of ways, that's what Paul outlines for the Thessalonian church. He encourages them in their own situation to focus on what they have on hand. So we're going to see exactly what things we have at our disposal. We're going to see all the tools we have, and then we'll see what we should be doing with them. And we're going to start with the Bible. We'll start with the beginning of Paul's first letter to the Thessalonian church. And the first chapter, it only has 10 verses, so we're going to read the whole first chapter. Let's take a look together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you, 
Because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. You know how we lived among you for your benefit, and how you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord, when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything, for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So this is the introduction to the letter, and it tells us what we have to work with. And Paul, Silas, or Silvanus, he goes by different names, and Timothy, they're together, and they write this letter to the church in Thessalonica, the city they visited. In fact, you can read about their visit in Acts 17 if you want. And as they write this letter, they follow a typical format for a letter. In ancient letters, you would list the authors who's sending the letter, and then the recipients, and then usually a greeting or a blessing. And for Paul, he almost always says grace and peace or some variation on that. So the first verse is this, this typical opening to a letter. And as it turns out, right at the beginning, this very first verse actually has some really great encouraging stuff in it, so much so that we're going to save it. We'll talk about verse 1 in just a bit. But, but then the authors get into the next section, and that gives us even more to work with. It tells us many of the things we have to work with. And as I was studying this letter, I actually learned a new word. I never heard this word before. Maybe you have, but I'll teach it to you. And uh, those of you who are homeschooling your kids right now, you could teach this word to your kids. It's a Latin word. So if you teach it to your kids, you can add Latin class to their third grade transcript, and they'll look like one of those really smart homeschool kids. So you're welcome. The word is exordium. Exordium. An exordium is, is another common feature in an ancient letter. The, the rest of this chapter, 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 10, it's an exordium. And an exordium was a short section at the beginning of a letter in which an author called to mind the, the positive aspects of their mutual relationship. And one author says this about the exordium. He says, in an age when time and distance might have a, a chilling effect on a friendship, an author would do well to reestablish the reality and value of their attachment before going on to deal with new issues. Well, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, when I read that, I thought about our current situation. Let me, let me share that with you again. In an age when time and distance might have a chilling effect on a friendship, an author would do well to reestablish the reality and value of their attachment before going on to deal with new issues. Right now, we're apart from each other, we're isolated in terms of distance. We could all use a little exordium, a little reminder of the value of our attachment. And that's exactly what we find in this first chapter. It tells us what we have to work with. This first chapter is a little bit like opening up our toolkit and seeing what we've got, and then we know how the rest of this journey might go. These are our tools, and the tools we have, they're actually listed right at the beginning of this exordium, this paragraph. Look with me at verse 3. We recall, in the presence of our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Paul actually mentions three things that we have at our disposal, three things that no matter how long we wait, we still have at hand. In fact, these things guide us in our waiting. He mentions faith, love, and hope. And they call these the triad because Paul mentions them together over and over in the Bible. And notice he says we recall these things. We look back and we can see evidence of them. And I think that simple act of recall is really helpful. Recalling past things that God has done in us and through us as individuals is so encouraging. Now as a church, seeing the faith, hope, and love that we've experienced over the years, it's a critical activity when you're playing the waiting game. Looking back to see how God has shown up for us. Looking back in order to look ahead. And this word that's translated recall, it literally means to, to keep in mind. In other words, we don't just think about these things and then put them back on the shelf. No, we keep them in our minds. We don't want to lose sight of these things, the ways that God has used us. We stay focused on them. We keep thinking about the past so that it has an effect on the present. That's a big tool that we have at our disposal, recalling what God has done. And I think that's something that we've lost some sight of during this waiting time. I mean, there's a lot of talk about the future. That's not bad. But I think we could take a lesson from this. We can recall the past. Our church has a rich history of being used by God. We've seen people come to faith. We've seen people take the step of baptism. We've had countless students attend youth events and camps, uh, sometimes through generous scholarships provided by you. And we've seen so many of those students come to faith. We've sent students and others out to full-time ministry or mission work. We've impacted our community in countless ways over the years, impacted our schools. We've developed what, to my knowledge, is the only gospel-centered Spanish-language worship service in our community, in a community that has a Hispanic population of just over 20%. God has done amazing things in our past, so much ministry that you and I have seen God do. That's worth celebrating. And even in the present, God has done great things. In this time of waiting, we've seen God show up in amazing ways. I mean, the simple fact that we're still meeting, still healthy, that's great. But on top of that, we've moved some big things forward. We transitioned to elder leadership. We've seen others move into leadership positions. We've grown in so many ways. God continues to use us. See, we recall the past because it has an effect on the present. As a church, we've been without a lead pastor for over two years, and yet, yet God still has our church in a great place. We're healthy. In some ways, we're more healthy than we've been in a long time, and we're still doing great ministry. Another way to measure how healthy our church is is to measure our generosity. And if you follow along, you know we've been just a bit behind in our budget every month for the past several months. But this last month, the month of March, was one of the strongest months of giving and generosity we've had all year, really in the past couple of years. Even with all the economic uncertainty, we've been generous. We're willing to live in faith, trust in God. So God, He's doing great things with us. And taking the time to stop and recall is so very helpful, keeping those things in our mind. One more thing I want to say about this idea of recall, remembering God's past faithfulness and remembering how God has used us in the past to bring glory into himself, it's, it's a great spiritual practice. This passage tells us that these, these, these leaders, Paul, Savannah, and Timothy, they're always thanking God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. See, they're recalling as they pray. 
And let me just say, your church leaders, your elders, we're praying for you, even more so in this time when we're all separated from each other. We're praying for you, and I hope you're encouraged by that. But I want to highlight that the, the recall, the keeping in mind, that's a discipline of prayer. Paul and the others, they're using their prayer time to remember with God all the great things that have happened. So let me encourage you, if you've never done that in a prayer, what a great way to worship the Lord while you remember His faithfulness to you and to our church. It's a great practice for your family time together. Just go around, recall all the ways God has used your family and worked in your family, and turn that into a prayer of praise and thanksgiving. So one great thing we have to work with on this journey is our recall, recalling God's past faithfulness. And this recall, remembering what God has done in the past, it leads us to focus on the present. It positions us for the future. The recall points us to the other things that we have going for us. Look at the passage again. Verse 3, we recall in the presence of God our Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have work, labor, and endurance, and they're inspired by faith, love, and hope. So let's explore these ideas a bit further. First, we have work produced by faith. We have hard work, our own efforts. Now, whether that's actual physical work, like the, the kind of work that was put into our church facility building that, or if it's spiritual work, like the kind of work our growth group leaders or our Sunday school teachers put into preparing their time each week. Whatever the work is, we have it. We're doing that work. And again, we can recall some amazing things that God has done for us. Even the, the acts of prayer and giving, that's work that we do. And yet notice that the work that this passage speaks of, it's a particular kind of work. It's work that's produced by faith. That work that's driven by faith, that God is going to use it. God is going to reward that work with His blessings. So we build a church facility, and we trust that God's going to fill it up, use it for His glory. We prepare for group lessons or classes of all kinds, because we have faith that God is going to use those things to grow people closer to Him. So our work is not just our own, but it's work produced by faith, faith that God has used our church and He's going to continue to. So even in this waiting time, we have a faith that's busy, a faith that works. Now the temptation in waiting time, it's always to sit and, well, wait. Just wait and see what might happen. But one of the things we have the ability to do even right now is work. We have work produced by faith. That means we can wait with faith. And the waiting is a key here. I mean, after all, that's why Paul is sharing these things with the church in Thessalonica. He's recalling for them all the great things they've seen and done for a reason. He's not just puffing them up. He's encouraging them for a very specific reason. And the reason is waiting. He wants to strengthen them in their waiting time, reminding them of all the tools they have to work with as they wait. In fact, in the very next chapter, Paul says he's writing to encourage, comfort, and urge them to live lives worthy of God. So see, for all their great tools, all the great things that have happened in the past, they still haven't arrived. They're still waiting for what God has next. And that's true for us. The whole world's been put on pause in some sense, but we could still wait with faith. We could still make use of the tools we have, not just in the past, but right now. We can still be strengthened in our waiting. 
So we're not just filling up this time with meaningless activities, but we're using the time to grow in these areas. Faith, love, hope, work, labor, endurance. We recall these things so that we can wait with faith, knowing that God has been at work. He continues to work in us and in our church. So as we recall these tools, we have the chance to lean into the waiting time, not just to recall these areas, but to grow in these areas. So we're looking back in order to keep looking ahead. That essentially is the waiting game, moving forward in faith, waiting with faith, faith that's active. So faith that produces, that's one tool we have, faith that produces work, active faith. Another tool we have is in the same verse, verse 3. Your labor motivated by love. A literal translation of this phrase, a good way to understand it, is that it's the labor that love prompts, that the effort put forth that's prompted by love. So, so what is Paul talking about here? Well, when Paul commends the church in Thessalonica for their labor motivated by love, we're not just talking about some little deeds, some small acts of kindness that are done. His, his choice of wording is significant. The, the word that's translated labor is the Greek word kapos. And it really gets to the idea of, of trouble, difficulty. It's burdensome work. One writer says it means unceasing hardship. So we're talking about a, a significant amount of work, of sacrifice, a lot of hardship. And I think that same attitude marks our church. That's a tool we have. We've labored. We've toiled. We've done hard work. And we continue to. And notice specifically, this is labor that's motivated by love. It's prompted by love. So it's not just hard work for the sake of hard work. It's not just hard work that we're doing on our own apart from God. No, it's work that demonstrates His love. Work that's motivated by His love. That's an important distinction. And I don't want to get down in the weeds on Greek words, but this word love is also worth discussing. It's a word you might be familiar with, agape. Agape is a very specific word for love here, and that's a significant choice of words as well. As you may know, the Greek language has more than one word for love. There's phileo, like brotherly affection, like the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? There's eros, which is like romantic love, erotic love. And then there's agape. And it's interesting because agape was a word that really wasn't used all that much before the Christians came around. When the Christians appeared on the scene, they realized that agape love was the perfect way to describe the love that Jesus himself demonstrated, his sacrificial love. So see, the early Christians, they not only capitalized on this new word, this new idea, an idea seen in the love shown by Christ's death for sinners, people who don't deserve it. And I love what one scholar has to say about agape. He says, perhaps as good a way as any of grasping this new idea of love, agape love, that the Christians had, is to contrast it with the idea conveyed by eros, this erotic love. And he goes on to say, eros has two principal characteristics. It's a love of the worthy, and it's a love that desires to possess. So, so in other words, eros love, the kind of love we, we think the most about, it's focused on possessing something or someone that we feel is worthy of love. And think about that for a bit. Think about all the, the bad love songs you hear on the radio. They're all about some beautiful person, some person who's really special, who's worthy of love. And the singer always wants to possess, to have that person all to themselves, right? That's Eros love. 
But for Jesus and his followers, there's a different and better way to love, agape. Agape is not just love of the worthy. It's not a love that desires to possess. It's the opposite. It's a love that's given away regardless of a person's merit. And it's a love that seeks to give, seeks to empower the other person, to, to give of itself sacrificially. So it really is the perfect word to describe what Jesus has done. And yet, yet here Paul uses this word, this agape love, to describe our motivation. Agape motivates us to work, to toil, to bear burdens for others. So you could say that all our relationships are really motivated by Christ's love. What Christ has done for us gives us the motivation to love others with that same kind of love, agape love. And let's be honest with ourselves. We still have work to do there. We still have room to grow in the relationship department. But we do have some labor motivated by love. We do have the example of God's agape love that we can then turn around and use to love each other well. And even though that's sometimes hard work, we're staying at it. We haven't given up. And because of that, God can keep using us, keep loving others through us. There's another tool we have. Another thing we have at our disposal during this journey. We're on this quest using what we have. Another thing we have is endurance inspired by hope. You can see that in verse 3 as well. And just like we examined labor and love, these words we looked at a bit ago, this idea of endurance needs to be understood carefully too. It's a word that, that, that's translated endurance. It's not just putting up with something, not waiting around for something better to come along. Now, the idea of endurance here is the idea of patience with fortitude. It's, it's the endurance of a, a stout-hearted soldier. He knows there's risks, but he stands guard anyway. He knows there's danger, but he goes on the offensive when he needs to. Never resting, always diligent. That's the kind of endurance that this passage is talking about here. And, and that's exactly the kind of patience and endurance that our church has experienced. We have learned, or, or maybe we've been forced to learn, this kind of endurance. We've become experts in this in some ways. We've been through a lot of stuff in the past couple of years. And some folks have left. That's to be expected. But if you're watching this, then you stayed. You've endured. And that's worth celebrating a bit. One thing that we all have to work with is we have endurance. And Paul, he's writing to this church in Thessalonica, and he specifically mentions that they've been through some tough stuff. He calls it severe persecution. You can see that in verse 6. You can also read about some of what they went through, even in the, the short passage in Acts 17 that describes this church. They've been through some stuff. And for us, it's not severe persecution, thankfully, but it has been challenging. It's okay to acknowledge that. There have been hard things. And if you're pretty new to Trinity, you don't really know what I'm talking about, that's okay, because you're still getting to see the rest of us at our best. You're getting to see the rest of us, those who've been around Trinity for a while, and we're battle-tested. We're those stout-hearted soldiers who know what endurance really looks like. And Paul talks elsewhere about endurance, and especially about the, the relationship that endurance has with hope. In fact, look with me at Romans chapter 5. We know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. So here, endurance, the same kind of endurance, it produces something. It produces proven character. We're all being shaped by endurance, shaped to be more and more like Christ. 
And the more like Christ we become, the stronger our hope becomes. Uh, see, just like we see in Thessalonians, our endurance is inspired by hope. But at the same time, the more we endure, the greater and stronger our hope is. And of course, this whole world is in a character-shaping time of endurance right now. I don't know if you've sensed this, but at this point in our quarantine, the gloves are starting to come off for some folks. Folks are increasingly frustrated. Tempers are getting shorter. The ability to keep enduring this quarantine is dramatically decreasing. I don't know this for sure, but I can imagine crime is on the rise. I mean, things are hard. And as I said, as a church, we've been in this different waiting time for over two years. So endurance stacked on endurance. But if we let it, all this endurance can grow us. Remember, the purpose of recalling all these great things is that we can continue to grow in these areas, waiting with faith. So even something as difficult as endurance can develop in us a character that's proven. Proven because we endured. We know how to endure. Character that makes us better because it makes us more like Jesus. Pastor Paul Tripp, he says it this way, waiting is not just about what we get at the end of the wait, but it's about who we become as we wait. So see, waiting with faith makes us better, makes us more like Jesus. So the endurance, the waiting is important. It's something that God uses. He has used and He's going to keep using in our lives to make us more like Christ. And endurance is also important because it produces for us hope. It gives us hope. And that hope inspires us to keep enduring. If we know that things are not always going to be this way, that there will be something coming at the end of all this, that gives us the ability to keep enduring. And for us, we certainly know that something better is coming. And I'm not talking about finally getting a new pastor in here. I'm not even talking about finally getting a meet in our building all together again or just go to the grocery store without a mask on. I mean, those things are wonderful. They're important. But that's not what we put our hope in. For Jesus' followers, our ultimate hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's exactly what this passage tells us. Our hope is in the Lord, meaning we hope that He's working in us, that He's growing us throughout this time of endurance. But it also means we hope for His return, just as He promised. The time when He's going to finish the work He started in us and in the whole world. The return of Jesus, it's a big topic all through this book of 1 Thessalonians. It's mentioned in every chapter. And we're going to take some dedicated time in a couple of weeks to talk specifically about it so we can all understand it well. But for now, we just rest in the hope that we have. The hope that Jesus came, He died for us, He rose from the dead just as He said He would. And He'll return to rescue the church and bring all things to completion. In fact, at the end of this chapter, Paul reminds the church how important it is to wait with endurance and hope. He talks about the, the, the church that serves the living and true God and waits for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And again, we're going to talk in a few weeks about the, what the return of Jesus looks like, what this book has to say about it, but for now, we just rest in the fact that Jesus is coming. And He's called us as a church to endure until that time and to serve Him until that time. And I would be remiss if I didn't point out the fact that when Jesus returns, He's going to return to judge the world. You could see part of that judgment right here. The word used right here in verse 10 is wrath. So if you're a person who's not made a commitment to Jesus, if you've not turned to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you need to understand that part of Jesus' role when He does return is the role of judge. 
And for those who have made a commitment to follow him, there'll be peace, there'll be joy. But for others, just as this passage tells us, there's wrath. So let me encourage you, if you've not made a commitment to Christ, don't delay. Later on in this book, Paul tells us Jesus will return like a thief in the night. In other words, unexpectedly. Don't delay. So as we're on this journey, we have these things at our disposal. We have an active faith. We have hope in the Lord Jesus. And we have love, selfless love that drives us to to labor, to hard work. That's a lot of tools in our toolbox. And that's a lot of ways we can keep growing as we wait with faith. But there's a couple more things we have. I mentioned at the beginning of our time that this intro to the letter, the opening verse, greeting, has a lot to teach us. And I want us to look at that now, that first verse of the book. 1 Thessalonians says this, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. So notice first, this is a team effort. This letter is not just from one leader, it's from a team, a a plurality of leaders. And that's important to notice in this time as we continue to move forward in our own plurality, appointing our own elders. And it's important because even when our new pastor comes, He'll be one of the team, one elder among the rest of the team. Even Paul doesn't work alone. All of us need all of us if we're going to follow the Lord's will for our church. That's one thing I want to encourage us with. One more tool we have is we have a group of leaders, a team. We don't have to wait for leadership as we wait for a leader. Something else this first verse shows us is that we have each other. That's a great tool we have. These guys who wrote this letter, they, they do something here that's unique to this letter. Remembering, uh, they're, they're following this traditional letter format. They introduce themselves, and then they address this letter to the church of the Thessalonians. Now, that's unique because in all the other letters we have in the New Testament, they're addressed differently. They're addressed to the church in Corinth or in Galatia or in Ephesus. But here, the letter is addressed to the church of the Thessalonians. It's their church. It belongs to them. After all they've endured, all they've worked for, it's their church. And I think if I was going to write a letter to Trinity, it would read the same way. The church of the Trinitarians. You get the idea, right? There's this sense of belonging. And that should give us a sense of empowerment. We don't have to wait for anything. We are the church. It's us. And especially now, as we're unable to meet in our building together, it's even more true than ever before. We are the church. Each and every one of us has full access to all these tools. We all have all that we need to keep growing, to keep representing God well. Let's not lose sight of that. Let's keep it in the front of our minds. God can and will use each one of us if we let Him. So we're on this journey together. And as it turns out, we have quite a bit to work with. We have active faith. We have hard work that's motivated by Christ's love. We have endurance that feeds our hope in Jesus. And on top of that, we got a great team, our leaders, and we have each other all working together to be the church. we got a lot more than we might have imagined. So one more thing remains to be discovered. What do we do with all these tools, all these great resources we have? How do we wait well? And I want to end our time together sharing how we should respond. What should the result of all these great tools be? And for that, I want us to turn to the last part of this chapter. Look with me at verse 4. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you 
because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. You know how we lived among you for your benefit, and you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord, when, in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So the result for this church was that they became an example. They welcomed the message of the gospel such that they became an example for the whole region. And I think we have the same great opportunity. The, the language that Paul and his companions use here, again, it's worth exploring. The church, they're imitators. They're an example. And that word, it's more than just followers of Jesus or followers of their leaders. They're out in front. They're leading the way. The church is impacting not only their community, but also other churches in the area. They're setting the example. And again, I think we have that same great opportunity. I mean, at Trinity, we don't have everything figured out. We're far from it. But we know that. We have a level of humility and grace that our valley can really benefit from. Because let's face it, there's a lot of churches in our valley. I don't know exactly how many, but a lot. And yet, just as we said a few weeks ago in our series on Jonah, there's very little growth in almost all of those churches. And I think part of that is because there's a lot of churches that don't want to grow. They want to stay like they are, not reach out, not share the gospel with others. They're just happy to be by themselves. Another reason is because there's a lot of churches that are really focused on rules and behavior so that if you don't look or act a certain way, you don't really fit there. But at Trinity, we understand grace. We know that the gospel message that we've embraced is a gospel that's open to everybody. A gospel that's not built on, you must do this or you must think that. No, a gospel that freely offers grace to all people, no strings attached. What an amazing opportunity we have to impact our valley. We've got a gospel message and one that comes with power and with assurance. We've got good news. That means we have a chance to be an example even to other believers in our valley. All our faith, all our love, all our hope, all our endurance and hard work, it all points to this, to taking the gospel message, letting it go out from us to others. It all points to being an example. And the rest of the chapter reinforces this. Look at the, the next verse, verse 8. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything, for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. See, it's not ourselves we point to. We're not the example as much as God at work in us. His word goes out from us. The example we set is one of confident faith in Him. So even in this time of waiting, we can wait with faith. Faith that the Lord has used us. Faith that the Lord is still using us. He has a vision for us to be an example to our whole valley. And faith that God is not done with us. He still has great things to do in us and through us. In fact, I want to give you a couple of things you could do in this waiting time, some specific things you can do as we wait with faith. One thing I want you to pray about and engage in is volunteering. I mean, here at Trinity, a lot of our volunteer roles are on hold for now, but you can still engage in our youth ministry. We still have a need for small group leaders there. 
And another great volunteering opportunity is at the Christian Aid Center. A lot of their volunteers have backed away, but there's still need there, serving dinners, even something as simple as manning the front desk for them. And let me say a particular need uh, for you men who are listening. Normally, the, the, the folks at the Christian Aid Center, they have to leave the center during the day. Well, now that's not the case. They're staying there all day. So there's a need for some classes and some activities. And in particular, if you're a man, you got a special skill of one kind or another, this is a great opportunity. If you contact our office at Trinity, we'll get you connected to the right folks over there at the Christian Aid Center, and you can start uh, engaging your skills in that way. And another way to use this time well is just to keep engaging in some spiritual disciplines. We all have a little bit more time on our hands to invest in prayer and reading the Bible. I mean, this book of 1 Thessalonians, it talks a lot about prayer and about the power that God's Word has. Those are both tools that are also available to us in this waiting time. So there's just a couple of ideas for how we can use our waiting time well, waiting with faith. So even as we're on this journey, even as we play our own waiting game, we're not sitting still. We wait with confidence, knowing that God has given us a lot to work with. He's given us great leaders, a great faith family. He's given us faith, hope, and love, built up with our own hard work and endurance. And in all that, He's given us a vision, a vision to be an example, taking the powerful message of the gospel to our whole valley. We pray with me? God, we want to be that example, not because we want to puff ourselves up, but because of the love that you have shown for us. We want to let that love spill out in us and through us and all around our valley, Lord. We want that to be the, the example that our whole valley sets so that the reputation that our church has is one that doesn't point just to us, but that points people to you and the gospel of love and grace that only you can offer. And we thank you for the incredible things that we can recall in our past, whether it's our individual past, our family, or our church family. Lord, there's so many ways in which you have shown up and blessed us. It's, it's, it's almost overwhelming to think about. And yet, the best part of that is that we know that even in this waiting time, you're still at work. That's the same God who did all those amazing things, you're still at work in the present and into the future. And so we wait with confidence, we wait with faith, knowing that you are not finished and you have incredible things that you want to keep doing in us. Help us to be dialed into you, paying attention to you, prayerfully uh, listening to you and responding to you with faith. And we pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.